WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Smith and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians today. Thanks for tuning into the show. We certainly appreciate it. I hope you can stay with us for the next hour. We're on till 10 o'clock here live on, in Port St. Lucie on We Are Just Christians. My name is Mike Schmidt. I'm the preacher, one of the elders for the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard. And usually, as usual with me today is Gary Jones. How you doing, Gary? Doing good this morning, Mike. Good. We're glad we can be with you. Uh, I hope things go better on the show than they have for me this morning as far as keeping track of stuff, Gary. It seemed like I can't talk, and I went off and forgot my laptop and about three other things. But uh, we're glad that you're here today. As I mentioned, this is a live call-in show. And so I'm going to give you the numbers to reach us in just a moment. We'd like to have you join the show, even for just a few moments, to ask a question or make a comment, uh, help us out. And uh, But let me first let me tell you just a little bit about the show for those who might be new listeners. We Are Just Christians is about New Testament Christianity in the 21st century. It's about getting past and beyond all of the traditions and synods and denominations that exist in the world. And and trying to bring some kind of order through the scriptures out of the confusion that is religion. But it's not just about that in the sense that it covers what happens at church, because we believe Christianity covers all of life, and it takes into account all the things that we are as human beings. So we talk about a lot of different subjects on this show. And if you call in and want to join the discussion, you know, you'll we'll be glad to talk with you. You don't have to agree with us. You don't have to even like what we're saying at all to join in. We'd be happy to have you call in. We're not going to, to attack you. That's the point I want to make now. This is not about uh, just being mean to each other for people to be excited about. This is about just talking about things that are important in a spiritual way. And so, therefore, we invite you to call in if you're not a believer or not a church person. Maybe you've had some bad experiences in churches or with religious people. Of course, a lot of people have. We'd be glad to talk with you about that, and what we're going to try to do in the during the course of the conversation, if possible, we're going to try to look at a few scriptures, give you some scriptures to look at from the Bible, so you can see how these things fit together and how they work. That's what New Testament Christianity is about. It's about going back to the Word to find out how we ought to think and live. And it's not just simply a list of rules about church. Christianity is so much more than that, and and the, and, and especially especially Christianity as revealed in the Bible, is so much more than that. And we'd like to talk with you about that on this show. We are just Christians. So if you are interested in God or spiritual things, this show is something that could be beneficial to you, can help you get you started on the right path to find out about God with a source that you can count on, and that's the Bible. And if you're not, perhaps we can clear up some of the difficulties people have with belief in in the God or the Bible, we'd be glad to do that. So call in. We're going to talk. We're going to hopefully have a conversation with you. You can ask your question, make your comment. We'll respond to that. Hopefully, give you something to think about. You can respond back, or if you want to call and ask a question, that's fine too. But we're we're going to give you the last word on whatever we talk about, so you don't feel like we're trying to uh, you know impose upon you or in some way mistreat you. So that's the that's the rules of the show. We are just Christians. We hope that you'll join with us. We'd love to hear from you uh, as we go through the show this morning. Call in now, uh, and uh, we'll be able to have a conversation. So you can reach us here on We Are Just Christians in Port St. Lucie at 772-340-1590. 
772-340-1590. It's really a coincidence, Gary, that they got the number to match the station call letters. That's amazing, isn't it? But yeah, that's what I, it is. It's 1590-340-1590 is the number. Even you could remember that? Yeah, I, I Sort of, yes. That. It's pretty, pretty good. I mean, they're, they're just lucky it worked out that way, aren't they? Anyway, so when you mention the that's text the numbers. Number. Just remember, I forgot and left my phone. In okay. The car. Well, I'll just give you my text number today. Then uh, we usually have, both of us have a text number, and you can, certainly will welcome to text Gary or I during the show or even during the week with a comment or a question. And people do that, so we're very happy about that. You can reach to me today seven seven two two six zero six one two zero. That's Mike's text number seven seven two two six zero six one two zero. If it's at all possible, possible, we'll respond to the text either directly by texting you back or respond on the air in some way during the show. If not, we'll, we'll take care of that when the show is over. But we love to hear from you live. People are, seem like the, once we started doing that, people are willing to communicate that way. It's brief and quick. Maybe you're able to do that uh, more easily than you are to call in. You usually don't have to wait very long if you call in. The only way you, reason you have to wait if you call in is that if I don't see the notification come to my screen that there's a call, which happens because um, um, I'm not paying attention all the time, Gary. A couple things I should be paying attention Mike to. Mike likes maybe. to talk. Maybe yes, and, <laughs> and I'm looking around the room, talking to Gary, you know, waving my hands, knocking things over, and, and so anyway, it, that would be the only reason. That doesn't happen too often, I don't think. And so normally had, you could text you me, and, and my number is the same as his, except it's 6220. Yes. But today, my phone, I left it in the car, and it's a little bit late for me to go out there yeah. and try to recover. Well, I left, I left this laptop at home this morning. So here's my wife. It's Mother's Day, you know, and all this. We get up. She had a cup of coffee, relaxing a bit, and I had to call her because Gary picks me up. I had to call her and say, can you rush my laptop over here? I picked my briefcase up without it. So my wife... Uh, Thank you to the Port St. Lucie Police Department for not stopping her, but I'm sure she was rushing over here to get it to us before the show started. So we, anyway, it's been one of those kind of mornings, and uh, hopefully things will go better. But if you'd like to call in, 772-340-1590 is the number, and the two text numbers are 772-260-6120 for Mike and 6220 for Gary, we'd be glad to hear from you. You can also email us. Some people have written us long emails about different things, and that's just Christians at att.net. And we'll respond to just you with an email. Yes, we, we'll we, respond to that. It, we are, can't do it on while we're on the air today, but we I can't check my email too. As a matter of fact, if you're going to text us a question that might take a little bit to answer, also text us your email address because it's a lot easier to give a more lengthy explanation over email than it is over text. Yes, that's right, if you want to. Okay, so I, Gary, uh, it looks like we have a phone call this morning. Uh, Jerry, are you there? Yes, thanks for taking my call, Mike and uh, Gary. I was wondering about the word postulate. Uh, you know, a, a, a pastoral or loved one going through their training. And uh, I also wondered about the word cassock. Uh, a, a priest daily attire, the, the collar and the black uh, uh, suit coat and that. And, uh, and what's the second? What's the second word, Jerry? Uh, postulate was the first one. What's the second word? Yeah, cassock. But the uh, first one was uh, postulate. Yes. Uh, uh, a pastor or a priest going to their training. I just wondered about the derivation of that word and. 
if you care to, to talk a little bit about it. I'd like to listen off air. That'd be okay, Mike. Okay, I still didn't catch the second word. Can you spell it oh, for me? Uh, the word cassock is uh, a priest daily attire, what he wears, you know, every day. And uh, the, the habit... Uh, the word habit is uh, is a nun's daily or whole you know whole outfit or shoe wear. It's called a habit. I'd like to listen off here. That'd be okay, Mike. Okay, Jerry. I thank you for calling. First you know, one. The, uh, I, we'll we'll just kind of take them. Go All ahead. Right. Okay, um, postulate. Uh, let me, of course, it's there's different definitions. To postulate, it's yes. a verb, it's the way it's more commonly used, and that's to suggest the existence of a truth or fact or something like that. So you say, I postulate such and such, and you're saying this is what I think is true. And then when you come up to the idea of a, a postulate as far as the religious definition of the word, it, it means, um, hang on, I'm trying to find an exact definition so that we can... Um, I can make sure I um, give you. I was trying to look up the dictionary definition. I, I thought I thought that it meant, and I may be wrong about that. Uh, a postulate in a religious sense is that it means someone who has taken some kind of position or vow, and so it is someone who is saying that they uh, be believe in something, so forth. Uh, hang on. Sorry about that, Jerry. I'm I'm not familiar. The word is not so much. A Bible word, and therefore it's something that we can't. I'm trying to get a grasp on here as to how how we're using that word. It uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's um, in ecclesiastical law. Here's what something like Wikipedia says: it, it's uh, nominate or elect someone to an ecclesiastical office subject to the sanction of a higher authority. So you you can. It's someone who has been a postulate, someone who has been selected to be a priest, for example. And I, from what I know about it, although obviously I'm not a Roman Catholic and I, I'm not trying to uh, uh, say something here that wouldn't be true. So if you're a Roman Catholic and I'm wrong, I appreciate you giving me a call about that because we just certainly don't want to say anything that it, do. We don't want to say attribute anything to anybody that's not true. There's enough problems with what people's say naturally than what didn't making up stuff but anyway it's somewhat there are different stages of becoming a priest or a nun different offices as it were that you go through and i am not familiar with all of those from the very beginning like an initiate one who is just beginning this process of becoming a nun or a priest and you go through various stages of evaluation and training and different vows that you have to take in different stages and, and I think that whole process is, makes you a postulate, joining that process, because you're stating that I'm going to be a priest or I'm going to be a nun, and then you go through the process of becoming one. I think that's one way to look at it. Do you have another? Well, it's just uh, Merriam-Webster here says the etymology of the word comes from Latin and from German right. to ask or to search, basically, uh, from those German and Latin words. Yes, well, it's related probably to the word hypothesis in the in the concept of putting forth a statement and then trying to prove it by evidence and so forth. So a person says, "I want to be a nun or a priest in the Catholic Church," and then they put they're put through a series of of training and 
and vows they must to take and they have to prove themselves, as it were. So to postulate something means I'm putting it forth to be proven. And so it is with a, with a, with the nun or a priest. Now, of course, uh, Gary and I, I, I'm not sure Jerry's background, but Gary, Gary and I do not believe that there are any special nuns or priests in the New Testament era. There's no such thing as a nun in the Bible in, in any era. And, there's, and uh, we believe that the priesthood of Aaron, which the Catholic Church's priesthood is based after, is, is no longer in effect. And so all Christians are priests to God. That is, they, they stand and, and worship God in his temple. All, there's a, the universal priesthood of believers is sometimes how it's put. That's what we believe about priests. So I'm a priest. Gary's a priest. My wife is a priest because they're serving in the temple of the Lord. Well, it's basically were. in First Peter 2, I think it's about verse 4, it says, coming to him, talking about Christians, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I think he's referring to all Christians there. We, we are a holy priesthood to Christ. Right. And, and that's where it comes from. And that, that's First Peter 2, beginning in verse 4 and going through about verse 5 or 6, I believe. Uh, and, and so and there, there are all other, of us you know, are. There are other you know, references to that. I think uh, there's another reference in verse 9 of that same chapter. He says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Uh, the New Testament refers to Christians as that priesthood that replaced the set-apart priesthood in basically in the Old Testament law of Moses. Right. So I, I, I would come from those scriptures. I mean, First Peter 2 is, is a good chapter to read all of it there, I think, relative to that. There are also references in Hebrews 7, I believe, all through the chapter of Hebrews 7. Uh, I don't think we probably have time to read all of that, but it'll contrast that to the Levitical priesthood. Yes, and, and it says that the priesthood of the Levitical or Levi, one of the sons of, of uh, Jacob, was a was to set apart a certain tribe to do certain things with regard to the worship, and that priesthood was superseded by the priesthood of Jesus Christ, according to Hebrews right. chapter seven. It even points out that if Christ were on earth, he couldn't be a priest because he was a wrong because tribe. he was a wrong tribe. He's the tribe of Judah, and so those who follow Christ are not following some men who are in the tribe of Levi or anything like that. So there's no Bible authority, and New Testament authority, I'll be more specific, for any kind of a special priesthood in the church. That's why we don't have a special priesthood here. And, you know, this, this business of offices in the church and power and all that kind of thing, it's just special, nothing but a constant problem. Uniforms special uniforms. Yeah, and that's, where, that's, I think, this other word, which I... I'm sorry, but I, I didn't ever catch the other word that Gary was using. Uh, Jerry was using because of the, it wasn't his fault. It was the audio that I was hearing in my ear. But I believe he was referring to the special garments that are one worn by priests and nuns, like the habit that a nun wears and so forth. And um, I think they're in general these religious garments are called vestments. Um, 
in and that's another word for them and maybe the word he was using if i if i'm not mistaken maybe some maybe one of you can text me or call me and tell and if you heard it differently, and I'm misunderstanding, I don't want to misunderstand either. Well, we might say but, that in the Old Testament, Mike, I would agree, there were some fairly detailed descriptions given of what the Mosaic and Levitical priesthood should wear. But under Christ, all of that is gone. And in the New Testament, there are absolutely no descriptions of special garments. Not as far as physical garments right. or not. But, but let's go back. Let's take a running start at this a little bit different. There okay. are... Um, and you mentioned it. If you go to Exodus chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 28, um, you will see, and it's also in Exodus um, 39 also. But he says, he says here, now take Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him for, from among the children of Israel, that he may minister to me as a priest, Aaron and his sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother. That means garments that are not like the garments that they would wear ordinarily on the regular day and garments not like or not the same garments that you would wear. They're holy. They're set apart, as all that word means, for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for beauty. And so you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as a priest. And there's garments you shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. And they shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons, that they may minister to me as a priest. Then he goes and gives descriptions of each of these pieces of clothing that the priest is to wear when they minister. When they weren't doing these things in the temple, they wore ordinary clothes. And they wore, they were not special or holy. They were ordinary when he was ministering, he put on these clothes because they were set apart. That's what the word holy means, sanctified or set apart, to be only used during that time that he was ministering in the tabernacle or the temple later on. So here are these garments. Now, we can say say two things about this, and, and they may seem contradictory, but they're not. There is nothing like this in the New Testament as far as what, a minister, or priest, or preacher, whatever you make, apostle, there are no special garments to be worn in a physical way by any Christian that I know of. I don't know of any special thing that Christians wear, whether it's a cross around their neck or a tattoo or a piece of clothing that they have to wear because they're a Christian. The New Testament has nothing like that in it whatsoever. But are there clothes that are parallel in a spiritual way to the clothes of this priest? Yes. Well, that's what I was going to. You got to put on yeah. all the gifts of the Spirit in the well, New Testament. Well, even in Ephesians five, beginning in verse twenty-five, speaking of husbands and wives in an analogy to the church, he says, "Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her." with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she should be holy and without blemish. Now, Paul goes on to say in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is a spiritual not spot or wrinkle in in this case. Okay. Uh, so that's about as close as I could that came to mind of, of anything being mentioned relative to clothing, and it's a spiritual term. It's not 
It's not a physical one there in Ephesians 5. Okay. Yeah, by the way, Jerry called back the station real quick and said the term he was talking about was cassock, uh, which is a similar kind of garment that we're okay. talking about here, as far as I know. I, I'll look that up real quick here. But if you – so he in, – in Ephesians, he's talking about this idea of uh, putting on garments, as it were. But he goes a little further than that, though, over in chapter 6, I believe it is, Gary, uh, where Paul in, talks about the fact that, that – uh, and I, I don't think you refer to this, by putting on the whole armor of God. God. The armor of God. Yes, beginning in verse 10 that we put on the whole armor of God. You can go back to the Old Testament, and you can find the physical armor that Israelites put on or the kings put on, right? But here is spiritual armor for the spiritual Christian. And it's it, take up the whole armor of God, verse 13, Ephesians 6, and, and you put on the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and so forth. So there is an armor or clothing to be worn. And then I think when you go to Galatians 5, you talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Right. And, and even Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, you also see the idea of you put on humility and lowliness and all these other qualities. These are the spiritual clothes that you put on as a Christian. And so that's the holy garments that a Christian wears, not a particular piece of clothing or a mark of right. some kind. But the, the the fruit of the spirit, the deeds, the deeds that we do, the attitude that we express, and we listed all these things. That's the clothing. So there, it's not like well, there was clothing for priests in the Old Testament, but there's no clothing for priests in the New Testament. Some say, well, there were priests in the Old Testament, there's no priests in the New. That's not correct. The priests in the New are, is every every, every baptized Christian. believer, every Christian. And those priests wear special clothing to the Lord. It just isn't physical clothing. It's spiritual clothing we put on. And it's, it's, it's for a Much more difficult to do, by right. the way. It's a, you're involved in the spiritual battle. And, and going back to the Ephesians chapter 6, Mike, these terms are not exactly the terms that you would use for Roman armor, but they are similar. In other words, this when you start looking at this, if you go research what the Roman soldiers put on as far as armor, you would see a kind of a physical parallel to this. Right. And one thing I'd like to point out is that Roman armor, an individual soldier could not put on by himself. It t took someone to help him get it on. Yes. And there was no covering in the back. And right. <laughs> <laughs> but basically... Today, we, we look for help. We look for help in the scriptures. We look for help from other Christians and encouragement right. from other Christians. And in, in many ways, it does parallel, I think, the Roman sure. Art, but it's But it's spiritual in nature. It's not physical. Right. Now, this cassock that Jerry called about, I'm sorry, I just couldn't catch the word, but it's a full-length garment of single color worn by a certain by certain Christian clergy, members of church choirs, acolytes, and others having some particular office or role in a church. So once again, it's a special piece of clothing that a person would wear to signify I'm a Christian or I'm a priest or a nun or, in this case, he says here, a member of a choir or something in some churches, to set you apart. So you wear this clothing. Now, the, the thing about that is this. We've all seen this. This, this is the problem, and I, this is why what we have in Christ even though what the Old Testament taught was for pur the purposes of 
typology and teaching for the future. What we have in Christ is superior because any kind of hypocrite or pervert can put on a special garment and look like they're a Christian if that's what you're looking at. If you're the kind of person who's going to look at someone and say, oh, they have a certain ring on, they're, they're a Christian, or they have a, a tattoo, they're a Christian, or, or they have a special garment, they must be a priest or a nun, So they, and we're thinking, now, so they must be a good person. You're, you're going to be misled by that very often. Or they're in the choir, so they must, they be, must a, be a good person. Or he's a preacher, he must be a good person. He must be a, what a Christian should be. You're going to be misled by that. But on the other hand, if you're looking for the garments of the Holy Spirit, the works of the Spirit, and the and the garments, like you mentioned in Ephesians chapter 5, that a Christian is supposed to have, you won't be misled so easily about a person's character, you see. So you have these women that walk around. they got their cross on to show they're a Christian, but, it's, but they've got their breasts exposed, and so the cross is dangling down in the cleavage, you know. Or they've got a cross tattoo someplace where only a husband could look at it, but they're willing to flash it to you. Or you've got this holy priest or holy person who's wearing his garments while he's doing some wicked thing or saying some wicked thing. Well, this goes. I, I, I had a fellow. I'm oh, sorry, Gary. Yeah, well, no, I just go back to what you were saying. You can't tell by the dress what a person is in terms of God. And and one of the one of the phrases I keep running across in the Old Testament, God says about this this new covenant. He says there are not going to be any Canaanites in the house of the Lord. What did he mean by that? Just exactly what you're saying. They're not going to be any people. In truth, dressed. in God's kingdom, they're not going to be there. They're not going to be there. They may show up at church. But they're not going to be there. They're the not going to be there because only God adds to that kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. I had a fellow who was uh, posed to some things I uh, he thought I had said or done, and I was trying to get this worked out with him. And it's a long – I'm going to tell the whole story. But here we're, we're in a church building in between like where the Bible classes are dismissed, and they come back out, and we usually ended with a, with a prayer and some other announcements and th- a song or so forth. So there's this little five-minute gap in there where everybody's regathering in the auditorium after this Bible study and prayer and everything. And this fellow comes to me in the, build, in the, uh, in the aisle of the church building, and I, and I asked him about what we were going to do about this. And he stood there and cursed and swore at me with filthy language. He was supposed to be some big shot in the church there, you see. And he had dressed nicely. Everybody thought he was respectable. But he had no qualms standing in the church building in this situation using filthy language at me right there because he was angry about something. Or what he was doing, Gary, was he was trying to intimidate me. Well, that didn't work, and that made him even more angry. Uh, and, and so more more bad language when I, when I wouldn't be intimidated by what he was saying. Now, this is the kind of thing we're talking about. Anybody on the outside would look at this fellow and say, oh, he's a fine Christian man, upstanding man with a family, dresses nice, has a good job, he goes to church three times a week, talks about the Bible and so forth. But what what was really going on in the man's heart? Now, now this is what turns people off from religion. And... Um, there's plenty of it out there, and we ought not to stand for it or tolerate it or act like it doesn't exist. And that's why putting on special clothes 
as a symbol to other people to tell them you're holy is not according to Christ's law. It's not a good idea. It's not helpful, not useful. I mean, even throughout the Old Testament, the prophets of God condemned many of the priests. Who was it and what were they wearing who sat there and judged Jesus and put him to death? The ones wearing the the ones wearing the, the the cassocks, as it were, and the other priestly garments are the ones that put Jesus to death unjustly. So this is why what God used as a, was meant to only be a type and a symbol of something different or better in the Old Testament has now been transformed under the spiritual law of Christ into something better. And so we have to look for different things in people to judge whether they're a Christian or not or whether they're telling me the truth or not. I have to look to something different than than the ring on their finger or whatever it may be and the vestments that they have on. So um, I think from what Jerry was asking, this cassock is a garment that sets apart members of the clergy. Now, we've discussed this before recently, too, uh, Gary, is that the, the idea of a special Christian clergy just is not found in, in the New Testament. The word Kleros in Greek that we get our word clergy from means a lot or an allotment. So it's God's allotment, God's ones who are set apart to him. And all of us are called God's inheritance or allotment, right? So this is the this is the meaning of this idea of clergy. It was used beginning before the Middle Ages or a little before that time to say that these men and women who became priests or nuns were really God's chosen ones, the allotment of God. When, of course, the New Testament teaches that every believer is part of God's heritage or his allotment, his clergy. So there's no special clergy in the Bible either, in the New Testament, I should say. Well, that's what we were looking at in First Peter 2. Basically, that's what he's a, saying. A royal priest, yeah. Every, every Christian who is a Christian, not every person who claims to be a Christian is a Christian, but every person who is a Christian, who God has added to his kingdom, has the right to petition God through prayer in Jesus Christ for the things. Right. And and that's the difference. Basically, under the Old Testament law, I believe it was only the priest who had the right to petition God. You know, the ordinary person, they had to bring sacrifices to the priest, and the priest had to perform the sacrifices, and things went on in that form, and now it's it's different. It's not there's not this special group of people who can come to God. Right. I'm trying to find that passage that uses the the words in English are not as clear in English about this allotment. You have to look a little bit deeper than just the. You can't just look up that word. Um, well, the, the allotment. Problem. I'm trying to find this here, Gary, because well, I'm. I'll go astray it. a little bit while you're looking. All right, go mind. ahead. Is basically this is one of the real problems we have uh, with incidences in the Bible like David and Bathsheba. What was the result of that? You know, the priest actually told David, said, "You murdered Uriah the Hittite with the sword of these people that you sent him out to be killed for." And not only that, but now you have given those who do not believe the occasion to blaspheme against God because of what you did, because they see you as a representation of God. Well, basically, every Christian is 
you know, some some places. There was one place that my wife went to that they had this youth organization. They were called Ambassadors for Christ. Uh-huh. Mike, I, I I didn't really disagree with that terminology, but basically, in in a sense, every Christian is an ambassador yes. for Christ. Yes. Because we are the thing that the world sees that we should see Christ in us, but often does not. And that's where the failing comes in. Sorry, I did. I, I had to chase no, that rabbit for a minute, but that's fine. Well, see, the um, this word is in, it, it's often translated inheritance in the New Testament, an allotment, what's set apart, what something is set apart for you. So Christ, we we become Christ's inheritance, as it were. We're set apart to Him as something that's chosen or special, and that word is clairu, which is we get the word clergy from. So every Christian is Christ's inheritance, as it were, or has a heritage and has inherited. Those are words work together in the way that they're used. And so this this all goes to this whole aspect of Christianity that we see so common today. And I don't know what it's going to take to get so many Christians or to get away from this, but this idea of a celebrity pastor or the pastor of a church who's in charge of it. they got one man who is the leader, and he's special, and we have to go talk to a pastor before you know, we do anything. It, it, it's all a, uh, something added on to the gospel, this whole business of exalting certain human beings in a church. Even you and I, as elders of this church, we may have responsibility to guide the affairs of this church. But the moment that we begin to view ourselves as better than the other people or somehow special and set apart and wear special garments and clothing and titles to set us apart, we're on the wrong road. That's why, you know, uh, when I go places, if some if they find out the doctor's office or somewhere that I'm a minister, they want to call me pastor so-and-so. And I'm not, I don't always correct that. But sometimes I do if it's a continual eugen. I say, hey, look, my name is Mike, you know, and I appreciate your respect, but but my name is Mike. I'm not going to set myself above them, and I shouldn't. It's too easy as human being to want to do that. Well, and that's where this impulse came from early in church history. We see it played out all before us in the media today and all this Christian stuff about all these right reverends and high pastors and this and that and the other and, I'm, and how many followers they have. And, and you see where it leads if you're looking. Well, even even in many of the uh, denominations, Mike, elders, qualifications are given for the elders, and we could spend a whole show on that. But what, what, how does God intend for the elders to direct his people or to help his people is through example. Yes. They are, they, the elders Mostly do not. Mostly through example. They're not the lords elders, over the inhabitants. Right. Law. The elders do not lead a church like a general leads the army. Right. And that's what Peter says. Even though he's an elder, I'm not not as lords over God's inheritance as it were. Right, right, exactly. And and what what most don't understand is is that and elders cannot make people do things. It's 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 a misconception. The only thing the elder can do is by example and by teaching lead you to the truth, and guard what is taught in the church. That's his primary responsibility. And I, I think you agree with me. That's where right. what we should be doing. So we're not a special people in that respect it would, elders are not special 
in in accordance to that. Now, the verse, it's ironic. I'm sorry. Go ahead and finish. You know, there's certain honor that people should give to elders, but it's a respect for God and Christ and the Word. For the speak. work that they're doing, not because they have right. some title that they are wearing right. exactly. and some special garments that they're wearing. But you look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 5. The elders who are among you, I exhort, who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings. Peter could have said, who am, who is the chief shepherd, the art, the uh, vicar of Christ, the first pope. We, he could have said a lot of things there, but Peter didn't say that. Right. Uh, P- Peter said he was a fellow elder, meaning in a, in a local church, a witness of the sufferings. Shepherd or tend the flock of God, which is among you, not across the county, not across the country or the world, but the flock right there among you. Not serving as over, serving as overseers or a superintendent, looking over the affairs, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Now, here's the key part for our discussion today, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. So he says that we're not a lord over and. Of, over the flock. So, but he also says we're not lords over those entrusted to you. You know, when you look up that word entrusted to you, I think uh, some versions say God's inheritance. That's that word clergy. So okay. here, here an, effort, an, an elder isn't supposed to lord it over the clergy he's been entrusted to. Well, who's the clergy here? Every Christian that he, that's in the flock where, he's a, where he is the elder. And he's not to do it as a lord over the flock, but it, by leading by example. You can, there's a reason why, and there's been books written about this, why the Lord uses sheep as his illustration, or both sheep and cattle in the Bible, in Bible times. But he doesn't really picture the church and the people of God as a, as a herd of cattle. He pictures them as sheep. Sheep are not driven to do to the pasture, to the feed, to the water. They are led carefully, gently led. You drive cattle. You brand them and drive them, right? But sheep are different kinds of animals. They follow their shepherd. They, in a sense, imprint on him. Uh, I hatched out some emus for a friend, for Johnny Sprouse, for a friend of mine one time, Gary. When those things hatched out, those big old emus, they looked like little dinosaurs. And and I put one in the floor there, a couple of them, and, and they started following me around. They thought I was the mama. They were imprinting on me almost immediately. Much more so than other birds, but and but that's the whole point of a Christian imprinting on the example of an elder or Christ, and this is the inheritance, and we're not lords. But but the tendency among churches that have been are now governed by men's rules, denominations, is to set up one man in a church, or. And make him be the one who gets to tell everybody else what to do. I read an article uh, the other day. I wish I'd pulled it pulled it aside um, because it was written from a a, a, ba- a young Baptist preacher wrote this article, and he is going to get in a lot of trouble for this article because he basically told the truth about these passages about uh, elders, and he said Baptist churches are now organized and run by a pastor over a flock. And he said the pastor and the elder are the same person, and there's always more than one of them in a church. And so we've organized our Baptist churches 
completely unscripturally in the United States. Well, that He's might... exactly right about that, but boy, was he taking heat because they all want this the pastor, and they want to be – they look at people and ask me, are you the senior pastor where you are? I said, well, no, Gary is older than I am. <laughs> if that, And they look at me like, what does that mean? Well, it means I'm Absolute, like, it means absolutely, I'm con- absolutely nothing. <laughs> yes, I'm trying to make point out that the word, what does the word senior – where would I go in the Bible to find a senior pastor? Even Peter didn't call himself a senior pastor. He said there was a chief shepherd who was going to come and judge the rest of us shepherds. He was a fellow shepherd with them. And, and that might be a good idea, Mike, to, to basically look at the organization of the church that is presented in the New Testament, uh, basically as opposed to the organization of many churches today, particularly the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. The organization of the Catholic Church looks nothing like what it's it's based on the organization of the Roman Empire right, right. at the time that it was established in the 600s that's when that's how it, what it's based on that's why it doesn't look like the New Testament church there was no concern given to that and and they state that fact we got a few texts by the way Gary which I guess I kind of missed uh, Ken texted in about 10 minutes ago Jesus postulated and chose the disciples postulate is a belief that cannot be proven in that sense it's, well, it's a belief that's in a, under an attempt to be proven. Um, and then he also says chosen to serve others. So those who are chosen as the inheritance are actually chosen to serve others, which is exactly, I think, correct. That's why Jesus places a high priority on well, service. That's basically right. the dictionary definition to assume or claim as true existent or necessary and so in the usage that i was making uh, that i think this word where it comes from is from it comes from the idea of a person claims that they want that they that god's chosen them to be a priest or a nun and they have to prove it for over a period of time by going through certain as it were exercises or trials and tests and and so forth, and they have to go through a period of silence, and they do this and that. So they they prove this thing that they've postulated, as it were. Now, uh, John texts in and says organization in churches started later in the second century. Well, there's there is organization in the New Testament, but this kind of organization that we're talking about, a hierarchical organization with all these different extra-biblical offices, did start centuries after the gospel. And um, they, they simply were not, uh, simply not found in the Bible. There's only, there, there, if you look in Philippians chapter 1, uh, and you, you, we could spend, of course, a couple of shows on all of this, but just briefly, when you look at, among other verses, in Philippians chapter 1, uh, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops or elders and deacons. So here you have the three parts of a church, as it were, that as Paul's referring to it. You have the saints, that's the Christians. Once again, another word that's been co-opted and used completely incorrectly in religion, that a saint is somebody who has been dead for 400 years and done miracles and now been gone through an official process with the Catholic Church to become a saint. That's not how the Bible uses this word at all. All Christians are priests and all Christians are saints. And then it says, and they're in a certain place, he writes to them in Philippi, with 
the bishops or overseers and deacons. So you have the bishops, the deacons, and you have the saints in a church. And that's the that's that all is, there is. And that is the that is the earthly organization. That's the earthly organization that that and, and the whole point of those bishops there is that they if you read what it, qualifications of a bishop in first Timothy chapter three and in Titus one, what you see is that they're all centered around the teaching and living of the word. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit in the early church. And so these bishops were simply do it, showing the people how to do what Christ had already told them that they not must do through his apostles. And then the deacons are to serve and to carry out some of those things. That's all the deacon is, is a servant. And they are all under the There's no they are all under the head shepherd of Jesus Christ. Of only and only Jesus Christ. Right. right? And so and, you've and there's got, nothing in between them and Jesus Christ. There's nothing in between yes, that organization. There's no pope. There's no other churches. No other. And this is where modern denominations, and when you even start with the Catholic Church and all the modern, most almost all Protestant denominations, have some kind of earthly organization, on, on headquarters somewhere on Earth, group of men, committees. It's like the fellow I've told you about before down in Boca years ago. I told him that we were in. Uh, Undenominational church. He said, "Oh yes." I said, "We are too." He says, "In fact," he says, to prove it to me, he says, "We're we're a member of the American Association of Non-Denominational Churches." <laughs> so he proved, he showed me his denomination was being undenominational. So um, anyway, and we've already discussed the difference between non-denominational and undenominational. But in any event, uh, people just can't seem to get away from that, Gary. Men strive for for greater and greater. Uh, offices of power and authority and prestige. And so in local churches, you even get this stratification into archdeacons, subdeacons, this and that. And Catholic Church has got the most. They're just stratified all over different organizations and hierarchies. And and the New Testament just doesn't speak of this. It speaks of being a servant to all. And when you look at the highest qualifications of the people there, Jesus says it's the one who serves. And the illustration he gives of washing feet is the most menial task that you can do. Uh, I was telling someone the other day, I'm becoming more convinced that one of the marks of a Christian, of a true servant of Christ, is a willingness to do menial tasks for others. Not have to sub, Not have to sub that out, as they say. Well, but we a willingness can, to do. You should be looking if you want to look for somebody to lead you in Christ, Gary. You should be looking for someone who's willing to do menial tasks, whatever it may be right. for you and others. Then you got the right kind of person. You're beginning to get the right kind of person. But basically, one of the things that we we need to point out is what does that lead us back to, Mike? That leads us back to who God dwells with. From what we've said from the beginning, what I've tried to point out is very important to every individual Christian is a humble and contrite heart. Without that, you can't serve. Yeah, that's just this is not possible. The other thing I wanted to go back to and make sure everybody understands is this: this nomenclature of an elder, uh, a bishop, and an overseer—they are all the same person. They are all the same office. There is no difference between those. Right, and that's that. We need to point that out. That's that, not hard to show, but it takes a little bit of reading. To, and there's two or three places that show that. Yes. Uh, w- one of them is in is in um, Acts 18, where Peter, I mean, where Paul called the elders of the church at Ephesus to him, 
And when he got them there, he addressed them as bishops, as it were, right. and pa- and pastors. pastors. So he wasn't calling three different groups. He called one group. Well, I left out pastors. I, it's it's right. It's elders, pastors, bishops, and overseers. Those four terms are all the same. Right. And, and you get the you get the uh, the words here in in first, and the verse I just mentioned a moment ago, First Peter chapter five. Uh, when you do a little bit of study on this, you will see, he says, the elders who are among you, I exhort. That word presbyteros, it means an old man. It's the, the type of man that it is, is not one who is immature, but one who is seasoned and mature. And we find that part of the qualification in both Titus and First uh, Timothy. So these guys ride around on white shirts and bicycles, call themselves elders and they're teenagers. They're not biblical. They're using a Bible word, but they're not Bible elders, according to the scriptures, because they're not married men and they're not mature. And he says he, he tells them here, he tells these elders in verse 2 of 1 Peter 5, to shepherd the flock which is among you. Now, when you look up that word, you see a shepherd, a poimeno, it is a shepherd. It's the, it's the, it's the verb form of the noun to shepherd, okay, to pastor. Another word for the word shepherd is a pastor, and we got a call, but let me finish with my thought, and then we'll take this call, uh, is a pastor. So elders are supposed to pastor the flock or to tend it or feed it, and they do it serving as an overseer. That word is episkopos, the one who looks over or superintends. That's the word that the King James other places uses as a bishop. Okay, so you've got elders who do the work of overseeing, and they do it as a pastor or as a shepherd oversees, and not as a cattle driver oversees. And sometimes called a bishop. R- right. That's the word overseer and bishop are the right. same word, depending on the translation. So all of these words are speaking of the same thing. So when you go to a church and you've got three offices, elder, bishop, and pastor, you know you're not in the right place because they've taken one office, made it into three and made one office superior to the others. In early churches, they took the elders and they made a superior office called a bishop. The elders were over maybe a local church. Even the local churches might have a chief elder, which you don't hear about in the Bible. And then those chief elders chose among them for various cities or churches a bishop for those churches. Completely unscriptural happened beginning maybe in the second century began to happen. This is what Paul referred to in Acts 20 when he said, from among your own selves, speaking to the elders at Ephesus, men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. The purpose of this is to create disciples for these men, not for Christ. I guess we better go to the phones here. Yes. Are you there, Ken? No, Mike, I'm here. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Fine. Uh, I sent you a couple of texts on postulate, um, so you yes. have to look at them, but uh, let me just say what I think the bottom on line On a postulate? Yes. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, you can listen to your rabbi, you can listen to your priest, but shouldn't we listen to Jesus, who is the Son of God, and who God said, this is my Son, hear ye him? Right. I think that's why Paul called the 
the Jews in the synagogue at Berea more noble than those in Thessalonica, because even when they heard him speak as a prophet, they compared what he said against what the scriptures had written down already that God had already spoken. You're still there? Are you there, Ken? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm here. Okay, I'm here. go ahead. I'm sorry. Sometimes we have this delay, so go ahead. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, we're placing too much importance on on uh, leaders. Our leader is Jesus. And churches get so far astray when they do that. Christianity gets perverted into something that that the the wolves can use to subjugate the sheep and walk around in sheep's clothing even though they're wolves churches get distorted roles get distorted even this well there's just all kinds of superiority that gets thrown around in any organization i don't care whether it's a stamp club or like i do in poultry clubs or in the churches humans act the same way if we would follow Christ's teaching about leadership in the church, we would avoid many of these problems in churches. We would also drive away the, the wolves who don't want to be a part of that. The wolves would find that they're not comfortable in these situations because they don't get to be the boss. They don't get to wear special clothes and boss people around in the church. And we would, would get rid of these people. Well, basically, uh, bear with me just a second here. You said a while ago and read the passage where he said savage wolves will come in among you basically to draw away Not others. Fair, yeah. yeah, to draw away others to themselves. Okay, why did they want to draw away others to themselves? And and I, it brings to mind John 5. John 5, I'm, I'm going to start reading in verse 43. Jesus is talking to the scribes and Pharisees, which were an example of exactly what we're talking about. The right. scribes and Pharisees were an example of this follow me, honor me, look at how I appear, look at how I dress kind of thing. He says in verse 43 of John 5, I have come into my father's, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from, comes from the only God? Yeah, there you go. That's exactly, That's exactly what, the problem. Exactly yes. the problem right there. And, and it's, it's, it's the pride that goes with all these things. You, what we see so often in churches and in regular organizations, I notice it more in churches because that's what I'm involved with, but we see it everywhere, is that pride, we see these people and sexual immorality go together. People think they're separate things. The reason that these celebrity pastors and all these pastors get caught up in sexual immorality is because they're lifted up with pride in the first place. And pride eventually takes its toll and says, I'm the celebrity. I'm the pastor. I can do what I want. And they do. They don't say this out loud, but that's how they live it. And that's the danger. That's why Jesus keeps telling you, he who is greatest in the kingdom is the one who is the servant of all. Well, they have forgotten. They do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. That's right. And, you know, Gary and I, one of the things that I felt when when the church here appointed me an elder some years ago in this church, is this very thing that I had to be aware of that I could be lifted up with pride, which is a natural tendency of mine. I'm going to admit it right before God and Satan 
It's my natural tendency to be proud and conceited. And if I don't, if I'm not aware of that and keep that before my eyes at all times, especially in a situation of being an elder and also the one who does most of the public teaching here, I'm susceptible, aren't I, Gary? I'm susceptible well, it, to that, it's, it's, being led astray by it's that pride. exactly what Jesus said, who receive honor from one another. Right. When we start desiring honor from our the people around us, we're not we're looking trouble. for the honor from and God. And there are probably people listening to this show, shaking their heads, saying, yes, Mike, I see that in you. And I, I, I understand that. And but but uh, it's when you become when you're blind to the possibility and lift it up. Oh, I'm an elder. Or I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. Now you've got a problem. And so many Christians expect this of you. They get upset if I don't want to wear a title, Gary. They expect me to accept the title from them, but I don't accept the title because I know it's dangerous both to them and to me. The titles become a snare to them and to me. And yet this is the common thing in religion. And uh, we even got to use this word brother as a title sometimes. You know, from time to time, people have even tried to call, I think, you and on a case, rare on occasion, me, reverend. Don't yes, ever do uh-huh. that. Don't ever do that. That's well, not, I don't I don't like that, that because I'm not like rev- I'm not worthy of honor or worship. I'm a servant. In some ways, that's a name reserved for God, basically. Now, Christians are told to give to, to respect those who serve among them right. as elders because, because of, of the, the work service, that they do. The not service, because, not the person. Not because that's... of the title that they wear, you see. All right, well, we've got a couple minutes left. Ken, you're still on the line, I imagine. You have finish up your comments here, and, and we'll go out with that. Hey, the, the, let me tell you the two things I text you. I postulate. Okay. Uh, you could say that Christ postulated the disciples. He chose the disciples. But he didn't chose them to believe. He chose them to serve. And uh, the other thing is a postulate is something that is a belief that cannot be proved. That's and one definition. That's right. Yes. But, uh, I question that because... I think we're losing. Jesus Death and resurrection, uh, there's enough evidence it's scientific to call that a fact, yet most people don't believe it. Right. Well, I, we had a little feedback in some of the things you were over, some of the stuff you were saying there, Ken, but the the idea of a postulate, I, what I was using it, and I think is going along with what you're saying, is so, it's a proposition that needs to be proven. And we prove things with evidence. Of course, the scripture to me is evidence of certain things, certain kinds of propositions. And um, a a person who says, I believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that's a postulate that needs to be proven by their character. Now, we've got a few seconds left, Gary. Uh, That's all I'm going to say is basically God wants to see why God wants to see our faith. Right. He says, show me. Prove it by what you do. Show me your faith by your works. That's in James 2. Right. That's exactly what it's all about. We're not, we don't earn our salvation with works, but we show them to God, right. which reflects our faith, and we are saved through faith. Right. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Thanks for those who texted and called. Really appreciate that. Let me give you a couple quick things to remember. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com is the website. You'll find lots of resources, including recordings of this show and other sermons and material there. 
and come visit us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard at 10, 11, and 730 on Wednesday nights. Thank you so much for listening. Hope you'll tune in again next week, and may God bless you. WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's 10 o'clock. Time for CBS News.